0: Well, last week we jumped into a brand new sermon series on the book of Daniel because I think it has a lot that we can learn for how to live today in America. But before I read our chapter today, I want you to realize that what we're reading today in Daniel chapter 1... What we're reading today actually happened to Daniel and his friends when he was a teenager, just 14 or 15 years old, because it took place in 605 BC when King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and took some of the best and brightest back into exile in Babylon. That's how they would do it, kind of in waves. And the first to go were some of the best and brightest, and Daniel and his friends were in that first wave taken back to Babylon. But now Daniel is writing the book of Daniel. He's the author, but he writes largely in the third person. He's writing this account now as a, an older man in his mid-80s, looking back, not so much at what Nebuchadnezzar did, but at what his God did and how his God used him even in the midst of Babylon. So now turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. And I hope you have a Bible with you. Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to stand and honor God's word because I'm going to read the entire chapter. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. ...with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel... ...and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish... But good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king." Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank, "'Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs "'that he might not defile himself.'" Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. "'And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, "'I fear my lord, the king, "'who has appointed your food and drink, "'for why should he see your faces looking worse "'than the young men who are your age? "'Then you would endanger my head before the king.'" So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be examined before you and the countenances of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenance appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for these four young men, God gave them Knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. The word of the Lord. And all God's people said. You may be seated. I've titled my message today Refusing to Compromise because I think we can get some help today in knowing how to live in the midst of a pagan culture. But I also think there are going to be some surprises along the way today for some of you as to what it does and does not mean to compromise in a pagan culture. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, one person's compromise very often becomes somebody else's trial. And that's exactly what's going on right here in our chapter. You see, Daniel and his three friends have been drug off to Babylon because of someone else's compromise that took place decades before they were even born. You see, the Babylonian exile that they were swept up in in 605 B.C. was a specific fulfillment of a prophetic word that the prophet Isaiah spoke to, King Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20, when he looked at King Hezekiah and he said, "'Hear the word of the Lord, behold, the days are coming "'when all that is in your house "'and what your fathers have accumulated until this day "'shall be carried to Babylon.'" And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you whom you will beget and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon now why is Isaiah bringing this kind of word of the Lord to King Hezekiah I'll tell you why because King Hezekiah if you read the passages leading up to that King Hezekiah out of fear has put his trust in someone other than God at the, at the time this prophecy was spoken, the superpower was Assyria, not Babylon, Assyria. And Assyria was knocking at their door and he was scared and he'd already seen God marvelously deliver them. And yet instead of trusting God, he sought to form an alliance with Babylon The Babylonian king sent some letters of goodwill and he showed them everything in his land, all his treasures, and he sought to build a political alliance with Babylon as a safety net against Assyria. And God said, Hezekiah, this ally, Babylon, who you think is your friend, is not your ally like I'm your ally. You should have trusted in me, not Babylon. And therefore, because of that, listen, it's not Assyria that's your biggest problem. Babylon will be the one who actually brings down Jerusalem. And more than that, some of your very own descendants will be drug off in exile and will serve as eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And so, Daniel and his friends, as well as thousands of other Jews, true to God's word, end up in exile in Babylon, but now here's where I wanna spend our time. When you're in Babylon, when you're in exile, when it seems like everything around you does not make it easy for you to live for the one true living God, how do we do this? Let's learn from Daniel. Number two, refusing to compromise is not the same thing as refusing to serve or engage with the culture around us. Here's what I see too often, folks, and I hope our church family, I'd like to believe our church family is better than some, but here's what I see too often that breaks my heart and I think it breaks the heart of our God. We've got too many Christians that are more prone to isolate than to infiltrate. And when they do engage our culture or the people around them, it's more often than not a hostile confrontation Rather than a civil conversation. Remember what I talked about last week? Is that hostility driven by just courage? We're so... What is the emotion that I do believe leads to hostility, name calling, mudslinging, hate, hunker down, lash out? What's the emotion? Folks, we should be the ones... The world has gone adversarial enough, even against each other, right? They don't just hate us. It's just like, oh my goodness. No one one dialogues anymore in a civil manner. It's just, we should be the ones. We should lead the way still with a civil, humble, loving conversation that includes listening to other people. When you listen, you show respect It doesn't matter if you think you already know what they're gonna say. I know what they're gonna say. Really? Let me know how your wife likes that. Well, the world doesn't like it any better. Even if you think you know what they're gonna say, and let me add this, even if you say, I don't care what they're gonna say, I would say to you, oh, but you should care because these are people you have not worked with or exercised with or run into any human being on this earth who's not created in the image of God. And we should lead the way with civility and humility and love and a conversation. Here's the other thing. Very often, if you'll listen well, and you'll listen, and you'll ask questions, and you'll show respect, and you won't interrupt, often they'll give you a greater opportunity than to say what you think. So what do you think? Love, civility, humility, you see it with Daniel all through the book of Daniel? All through the book of Daniel you'll see an example of this. And we need to follow his example and he was simply way before Jesus giving us a picture of what Jesus was like as well when he was here. It's worth noting that Daniel also, get this, did not refuse to work for the Babylonians. Perhaps because he understood something we talked about last week, that God is in control of who, say it, is in control, was anybody here last week? It seemed like a full room. God is in control of who is in control even when they are wicked. Now see, if some of you got a hold of that and said, I like that, I can hang my hat on that, great. But I'm looking for more than that. If you truly believe that phrase, God is in control of who's in control even when they're wicked, it changes how you interact with those wicked people. You're more loving because you're not as scared because you know they're not in control just because they took over. Our God, just like he gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, has given America into the hands of who has the power right now. And we can sleep good knowing God's still on his throne and we're his people for such a time as this. I don't have to freak out, but I am called to be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Civility, humility, love. Now... If right now you're thinking, but yeah, he made, a, he made a whip and he drove them out of... Oh, be careful. You read the Gospels. Did he make a whip and beat the woman caught in adultery? That was weak. Did he make a whip and beat the woman at the well when he said, it's your fifth doggone husband, woman. You make me sick. Oh, no, no, no. When Jesus got up in people's faces, he got up in the face of religious hypocrites, not broken lost sinners. You don't find him up in the grill of sinners, in their face, without grace. You don't. And yet as I look around today in our world, I find Christians constantly up in the grill of very, very lost sinners railing against them. Look at the example of Daniel. I think we can learn a lot from Daniel. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Daniel was willing to submit to some really disturbing things. He was willing to submit to some really disturbing things. He was subjected, first of all, to an in-depth pagan education. He was subjected to an in-depth pagan education. Basically, it says he was in in a three-year training program. He didn't work another job at Chick-fil-A there in Babylon. Full-time Full-time, going to school in Babylonian literature and culture. It was the equivalence of a master's degree. Three years, which means he would not only have studied the Babylonian languages, but also their leadership, their economics, their worldviews, their art, their music, their love for astrology, their magic, their love for the occult. All of it, up to his eyeballs. And all of this took place also in the context of a breathtaking, cutting edge city. These boys are like 14, 15 years old had been thrown into a breathtaking, cutting edge city. See, Babylon was not some little podunk town. Don't make that mistake. Just because Babylonians were wicked doesn't mean they're ignorant. And you can see that in history. Some very, these were some of the most educated people alive. In fact, most historians agree that at that time in Babylon was the largest library that existed in the world. Nebuchadnezzar had already created a museum of antiquities. These were educated people. You can look through history. Are there any other points where very educated people have been able to do very wicked things? Germany? Yes. Yes, so wicked is not synonymous with ignorant. Very educated, very cultured. It was a huge city of influence and culture that Nebuchadnezzar had transformed into what historians agree was the greatest city in the ancient world. Even today, Babylon, even today, Babylon is the largest archaeological site because it spreads across 2,000 acres. This is where these boys were. That's what they were thrown into. And Nebuchadnezzar was intent on reprogramming them and he subjected them to an in-depth three-year education master's degree in their ways. Oh, but there's more. He stripped them of their Jewish identity by changing their names. I know names are not what they were for the Jews. Sometimes you pick a name because of what you say it means. You know, Sophia is based on wisdom. But most of us just say, my mom named me Brad. Why? I don't know what Brad means. But you're like Brad. I named one of our kids Harrison. It, it doesn't mean, oh, thou great one. I, I like the name Harrison. Jews didn't, names meant something. These four young men their entire lives, every time their name was said, or they said, hey, my name's Daniel, it reminded them of the one true living God. That's how names worked back then. You can see the Hebrew names listed in verse six. That reminded them of their God. Daniel means God is judge. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael means there is none like our God. And Azariah means Yahweh is my help. So what did Nebuchadnezzar do? Well, Daniel becomes Belteshazzar. That was a pagan god in Babylon. Hananiah becomes Shadrach, which was the moon god of Babylon. Mishael becomes Meshach, which means who is greater than Aku, another one of their gods. And then Azariah becomes Abednego, which means servant of Nego, which was another one of their gods. Now their names, every time they're said, call to mind not the one true living God, but one of the Babylonian gods. And to top it off, they were probably castrated because that was a very common practice for anyone that was going to be close to the king as an advisor, counselor, in his administration. This is just how this works. You're going to be castrated. And yet, Daniel, graciously and humbly, you say, well, he had no choice. Well, he could have said, you changed my name, just kill me now. Right? He had a choice. Or... He did not, he graciously and humbly submitted to all this. We have no record of him pushing back against any of this, but that doesn't make him a compromiser because he had a line over which he would not cross because he had purposed in his heart. The point that I wanna make, I think sometimes Christians are drawing lines too soon and too sharply and going to war when you don't need to yet. Sorry, some of you, I think, like war. It's like, dude, settle, do debt, settle down. It's like, and you think that's what makes you Christian. We hate everyone. Uh, no, you're confused. Daniel, here's my next point, Daniel knew when to resist. He chose his battles carefully. He knew when to resist. Look at verse eight. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Now, commentators are undecided and not on the same page and no one really knows what. What about this food? Because wine was not on the list of something Jews couldn't do. He wasn't gonna himself, defile himself with the king's wine. You can't find that in the Old Testament. So we really don't know what about it he thought would defile him. Maybe it's just here's where I can prove a point. Here's where I can not completely be assimilated in their culture. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't kosher. Maybe it had been offered to other idols. But w- the text doesn't tell us. It's really not the point. The point is, he did have convictions and he had a line over which he would not cross. And this was it for him. But I want you to stay with me, lest you think. And so now, here's where he gets up in their grill. Here's where his veins stand out and he's screaming epith- No. Oh, we can still learn from Daniel when it's time to resist. And see, here's, I want to allow for Christian liberty. Your point of thinking you need to resist may not match mine. All right? We may have different convictions of what violates your conscience. Let's allow for that. So I'm not going to give you a grid. It's it's right here, all of us. But what I am going to give when you decide in your conscience it's time to resist, we should all be doing it in the same way Daniel did and in the same spirit that we see of Jesus. That's what I'm going to unpack for you. When he got ready to exist, oh, my goodness, I think we can learn from him. Because you think about it. Apparently, Daniel said... Obviously, Daniel must have said to himself, you can indoctrinate me in a master's degree of Babylonian culture and arts and magic and astrology and occult, and I can give you the right answers, and I can even be top of my class. God enabled, basically, Daniel and and his three friends. Think about it from verse 20, 10 times better. He enabled them to graduate magna cum laude in the occult and astrology and magic and probably things they did not agree with. He said, I'll learn all this and I can tell it to you. Doesn't mean I believe it or embrace it. You can change my name. And now my name constantly reminds me of of a false God, but you cannot change my true identity as a child of God. You can't get to my heart. And you can castrate me so that I can't produce other children, but you cannot change that I'm a child of God. But when he did decide... I'm not gonna defile myself with the king's delicacies nor his wine, whatever was behind that. I want you to see how he resisted, how he resisted. Number three, refusing to compromise doesn't mean you stop being humble. Look at me. And it certainly doesn't mean you start being hateful. I see Christians getting this wrong. It's like, oh my goodness, you guys, for some reason Christians seem to think that hateful is appropriate when you're dealing with wicked people. But they're wicked, they're vile, they're God-haters. Yeah, that's who he came to die for. People just like you, my friend. Hateful is not appropriate just because you're dealing with wicked people. You didn't get that from the Bible. Your own flesh might dictate that. You didn't get it from the Bible. And and here's how I would say it to you. Standing for truth. Should we stand for truth? Yes. Yes. Please don't hear what I'm not saying in this series. Just lay down and don't believe anything anymore. No. But standing for truth is not synonymous with hating truth breakers. We've got Christians that for whatever reason seem to think, but I still hold to this truth that, that homosexuality is a sin and not a genetic deal. Therefore, I should hate all. You have made a therefore that you didn't find from the Bible. You have now drawn a conclusion and making a step outside of the Bible, my friend. Holding to truth is not synonymous with hating truth breakers. You don't see that in the Bible. We've got too many Christians who are confused and think standing for truth means hating anyone who doesn't hold to that same truth. Even in the New Testament, Ephesians 4, so you speak up. Good, we're saying we want Christians who have the courage to stand, the confidence to speak up, and a heart that's willing to sacrifice to see lost people come to Christ. When you do choose to speak, how are you supposed to do it in Ephesians 4? Speak the truth with veins standing out and use ugly names call them faggots tell no speak the truth in say it louder love love Love. that's what you see in Daniel that's what you see in Jesus because here's the mistake that we can make folks because it's it's natural don't hear me saying this is easy What Everything I'm pitching is supernatural. It'll take the spirit of God in you. It would not be your automatic default setting, but we're not supposed to do just what we would think or what we feel. He lives in us. You need to be spirit-filled and you represent Jesus now. What would he do? Let's be doing it. Because if you're not careful, you can make the same mistake that Jonah made. We're not the first ones to struggle with this. Know that little book of Jonah, just four chapters? Jonah did not just hate the sin of Nineveh. Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. He made the same mistake I see some Christians make. Oh, but these are vile people. Uh Uh-huh. He so didn't wanna go preach to them that he went the opposite direction. God had to toss him overboard, swallow him with a fish, let him sit in acid juices of a fish for three days and have his skin blanched and bleached, and I don't know what else happened down there. I, I bet it wasn't fun. And then he's belched up onto the beach. He's like, oh, okay, I'll go. Then he goes, but his heart hasn't changed. He still hates them. And he marches through Jerusalem saying, God's gonna judge you if you don't repent. God's gonna judge you if you don't repent. And they repented from the top down. The king on his throne got off his throne and put on ash and everybody from king down to the lowest shop worker. And Jonah went out, read chapter four. Jonah went outside the city kicked up dust, shook his fist and said, this is exactly what I thought you might do. And it's why I didn't go angry at God and sat down pouting that God would have mercy on these wicked people. You wanna see the mercy of God? The mercy of God is that God didn't fry that little man right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's mercy. We're always like, why is he so merciful to these wicked people? Why hasn't he fried us? For how often we're so full of ourselves and hateful and we misrepresent him. And we're, folks, love, love. He has not called us to hate the people who are doing the sinning. When you do that, you do not have the heart of the Savior. Here's how I would say it to you. Listen. Listen. I want you to be passionate for God. I I seek to stay passionate about God and his truth. When your passion for God and his truth, do we want to have passion for God and truth? When your passion for God and his truth starts to override your compassion for lost people created in his image, something has gone terribly wrong in your heart and you are no longer following Jesus. Folks, it's both. Passion for God. Passion for truth. And compassion for lost people created in his image who want nothing to do that truth and they may rail against you. They may harm us. They may come against us. But they did the same with Jesus and he answered not a word. He's called us to be humble, kind, loving, return good for evil, not talk just like they talk, whether it's through your keyboard or face-to-face. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, exactly what, where Jesus' heart was. Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the multitudes, if anybody had a right, right, to look out, he can see every heart. Imagine all he saw. The yuck and the sin and the rebellion and the selfishness and the idolatry. He could see every heart when a large crowd stood before him. What's he filled with? When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with hatred. No. Say it. Say it again. With compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. That woman you work with that you think is such a pain in your holy buttock. That man that you work with that you think is so vile and his mouth and his lifestyle and his, that is a weary sheep who needs the same shepherd you have. There's a real person inside there. You don't know all that's going on with them and they're people created in his image. Don't hear me saying they have to become your best friend. Do hear me saying you're supposed to love them and treat them with civility and kindness and respect that's how Jesus approached it that's what you see with Daniel all through the book of Daniel you're going to see his humility in the way he respectfully speaks to the people who have authority over him even when they're wicked see here's how I would say it here's what I think is missing oh sure there are plenty of Christians that have given up on truth So don't hear what I'm not saying. I know we're one of the few churches still left that I hear people say all the time, you still use the Bible, all of it. It's so refreshing. You preach the Bible. Yes, but let's not make the mistake. We're so known for truth. As long as we still believe the Bible, it doesn't matter how we talk to our culture. Oh, yes, it does. I want us to be the people who still believe the Bible, all of it, and have compassion and love for all the people around us who break it every day. That's why he's left us here. To be salt and light. These people around you are weary in their sin. They're scattered. They're confused. They need the same shepherd you have. And he's placed you there perhaps to give them the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. Let me tell you something. Hate doesn't smell like Jesus. Love. Our chapter is just one example. As we go through Daniel, you're just gonna see it over and over. His humility and his respect. I'm gonna jump ahead. You're gonna see God give Daniel a vision and a dream about what's gonna happen to Nebuchadnezzar. And it's horrible. He's gonna go down and eat grass like an ox. And Daniel doesn't even share that. He doesn't even wanna tell him the dream. And the king says, no, no, tell me, tell me. Instead of saying, yeah, you're gonna get it. You've needed to get it. And now you're gonna get it. No, he hems and haws and he says, oh king, oh king, oh king, I wish this dream was about someone else and not you. Are you serious? The man castrated you, he changed your name, he drug you from your land and he still says, I wish this dream was about someone else besides you and then he delivers the bad news. How could he do that? God, and he didn't even have what we have today Holy Spirit living in us, resurrected. You know that compassion of Jesus from Matthew nine? That Jesus lives in you. His compassion in you should show up through you towards broken sinners. So I want you to notice how even when Daniel begins to resist, he makes an appeal, he's humble. He doesn't make hateful demands. He makes humble appeals. And I think Christians would get heard a little more often if we would do likewise. I think too often Christians, listen, if you are in the public school, if you are in an awkward situation at work, whatever it is, here's the mistake I see Christians make. Very often you never say a word of encouragement to anybody about anything that's good and often there are good things happening. You wait until you're upset about something you think is a violation, and then you're up in their face with no grace, making demands. And they're like, where have you been? You just keep showing up to complain about this book we're using in this class, and this class, and this activity. Our kids were in public high school. I made it my practice to write notes to the principal and say, thank you for leading today. Leadership is so hard. All people do is complain. I was grateful for some things. Did I agree with everything? Does it mean I can't thank her for so? So guess what? When you do think you need to say something, they listen a little more and they think, this is not some parent I've never seen. This parent has sent graders ice cream. This parent has sent cards. This parent has said, I'm praying for you. This parent has been at the pe- te- teacher meetings in the hallway saying, thank you for serving. Thank you for what you've done here, that we have a place we can send her. And then you might sometimes need to say something but that shouldn't be the only time they hear from us. Look at verse eight. After he purposed in his heart, look at how he goes about this. He's gracious, therefore he demanded, he requested. He made a humble request and get this, it was denied. The chief of the eunuchs, Ashpenaz said, sorry, no dice. This Nebuchadnezzar that you're scared of, oh, I'm scared of him too. He's terrifying. My head's on the line based on how you guys do. It's not worth the risk. If you don't look as good as the other guys, I could lose my head, no dice. Daniel doesn't freak out. He just simply shifts and makes an appeal to the second in command, the steward that this guy put over them. And even then, look at verses 11 and 12. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of eunuchs had set over them, what is the lead-in word? Please. You know, it would serve us well to bring back please. Just please. Please, would you consider that my child could read a different book instead of them? Please, would you consider that they step out of that active? Just kindness, humility, please. please. And, and then notice what else. Test your servants for 10 days, and as you see fit. Do you see the humility? I'm gonna let you make the final call. Would you just give this a chance? Consider Just test this for 10 days, and you make the final decision. There's just so much humility and graciousness being demonstrated as he makes an appeal instead of a demand. You say, Brad, you got any other examples of that kind of talk, of that example of Christians functioning this way? Oh, yeah. You think about the Apostle Paul. I mean, should we submit to and respect wicked leaders Oh, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Christians in Rome, these are Christians in Rome, when Nero was in power, good guy, bad guy, wicked, righteous, God-fearing, full of himself. This is a horrible guy doing horrible things to Christians, by the way. And Paul writes to those Christians in Rome in Romans 13 and says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by, say it. When you understand that God is in control of who is in control even when they're wicked, doesn't mean you disobey if they command you to do something that's in violation of but all along the way, you show humility, you show grace, you show love. Daniel and his friends maintain their faithfulness to God while working in the Babylonian system, not against it, to the best of their ability. And so here's what I would say to you. We need Christians, Christian men and women teaching in the public schools. We don't need all Christians to hit the exit door and say, oh, but now there's this, there's a, teach. In the public schools, be salt and light. We need Christians to still hold public office. Run for office. Be on the city council. Be a governor, a mayor, something. Oh, will it be awkward things being discussed and ordinances and things trying to be passed that weren't even an issue? Yeah, but be there. God has called us not to isolate, but to infiltrate graciously and to be salt and light. We need Christians in Hollywood. We need Christians in broadcasting and journalism. We need Christians in the arts and music. We need Christians to be in every place of our Babylonian culture. Oh, will it be awkward? Oh, will there be awkward moments where you will have to wrestle with and maybe even get counsel from another brother and sister? How do I hold on to my faith and still not lose this job? I had someone just over the weekend ask me, she's a counselor in a public school. The things that kids are saying, she cannot say everything she'd like, but can she be the sweet aroma of the knowledge? Of, would it be better that this Christian young woman in our church is the public school counselor listening to these kids saying these bizarre things or some pagan that doesn't care about God? Her. And she's saying, Pastor Brad, I don't wanna sin. I don't. What should I do? Yes, it could be awkward. Stay awkward. Stay in there. Will you perhaps be marginalized and mocked? Yes, yes, yes. But guess what else just might happen? You just might make a difference. Like Daniel and his three friends who were exiled in Babylon. God has not called us to form a Christian subculture ghetto. And to pull out from everywhere. That's why we're never going to have a family life center with Christian music for you to jazzercise to. Get over it. Go dance to secular music where they're dropping the F-bomb all around you. Go exercise right there. Right there. Do I want you to drop the F-bomb? No. Do I want you to do everything those songs are saying they're doing? Please don't. But I want you to be there. We're not supposed to create a subculture where we never have. He calls us light. Oh, let's just put all the light over here. I don't want to go there. It's really dark. Duh. Yes. Light in darkness. Not darkness. All the light's here, because that's so scary. Salt. In that day, they didn't have refrigerators. Salt was to preserve. Is it rotting out there? Oh, yeah. We're supposed to be salt. Salt does no good unless it makes contact. Listen to me. To make an impact, there has to be some degree of close contact. I know that's dicey. Don't hear me saying do everything they do. We're supposed to pursue holiness, but he did not call us to separate and have nothing to do with them. He's left us here to be salt and light. Let me ask you what might be an awkward question for you. Do you even have an unbelieving friend? We got some Christians that think it's a compromise, it's an endorsement of their lifestyle for me to actually be friendly to and like an unbeliever. I would disagree. I've got people at the gym in the neighborhood and other places that I really like. I like them. I actually like them. We disagree on all kinds of things and I'm encouraged by the number of people that say to me, you are the most normal Christian I've ever met. <laughs> I'm sorry that that's so, there's nothing great about Brad Bigney but I tell you one thing, I still love people, I ask questions, I show respect and I am not a compromiser They know what I believe and I've found a way for them to know I still love them. Guess who I think that reminds me of? Jesus who was criticized constantly by the religious leaders for what? Why does Jesus eat with the sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? That was what he was criticized for. We're supposed to be with them without being just like them. He'll help you, Holy Spirit in you. In fact, the Apostle Paul, think about this. The Bible is written this way, you guys. I'm not making this up. Group of Christians in one of the most sexually immoral cities of their day, Corinth. Prostitutes headed out into the streets every night. I mean, it was just vile. So here you got a group of Christians that have been saved out of that kind of background. Some of them were a part of that. And they made the same mistake that I see Christians make today. And Paul wrote them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to correct them. And he actually says that because they drew a conclusion, we shouldn't be around any of these kind of people. Listen to what Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. I wrote to you to not keep company with a brother who is sexually immoral. Oh, we got Christians that got this completely backwards. They're hanging out with someone who says they're a Christian and is sleeping with their girlfriend. That's the one you're supposed to say, I can't spend time with you. I should separate from you because you say you're a Christian, but you're committing fornication. He said, I said separate from a brother who does these things. Not an unbeliever. They're lost. Yeah, I know, it's quiet. I went from preaching to meddling. (laughs) I mean, we've got to get our marching orders from Jesus and the Bible. Don't just do what you think. Often what we think is not what God calls us to do. And finally, I want you to see how our refusal to compromise is not so much driven by our faithfulness, it's God's faithfulness to us far more than our faithfulness to him. Oh, my goodness, don't make too much of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. It's it's God's faithfulness to them in the midst of a dark pagan culture. You can see how God is the one ultimately in control of where we are and who we are at any point in history. Last week, I showed you that word gave in verse 2, the Hebrew word natan. God gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. That word is used three times. Daniel used the same Hebrew word three times so that you would see the sovereignty of God is all through this chapter. Because he says he gave Daniel, look at verse nine. God gave Daniel, the new King James, I don't know why I chose to translate it, brought him into, it's the exact same Hebrew word, So say gave again, the ESV gets it right by saying God gave Daniel favor and compassion and in verse 17, God gave them knowledge and wisdom to the extent that they graduated magna cum laude. They were stand out. Let me show you something else that I want you to hold on to. It's not just how you can see God, his faithfulness and sovereignty even in the midst of a pagan culture it's also that you see God keeps his promises. Even when he takes us to places we'd rather not be. Verse 21 is what I'm talking about. Look at how Daniel sticks the landing in verse 21. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. There are those that have made a mistake and they grab this verse as an example of how the Bible's full of errors because they think that verse is referring to he died. In the first year of King Cyrus, that's not what the verse is saying. Because we all know, if you check out history, he served in the administration of Cyrus. He's making a much more important point. Thus, Daniel served until the first year. He lived long enough to see God keep his promises. God, through Jeremiah, had prophesied, oh, yeah, you're going into exile. And in 70 years, you're going back The land and God takes a pagan king, Cyrus, who's no more godly than Nebuchadnezzar, and uses him, stirs him up to send the Jews back to the land. And more than that, you can read about it in Ezra 6 and 2 Chronicles 36. And he said to them, Take the treasures that Nebuchadnezzar stole from Jerusalem and take those back to the land. Why? Because God is in control of who is in control even when they're wicked. And Daniel says, I lived long enough. Oh yeah, did I experience pain, confusion, castration, awkwardness serving in four pagan administrations? Yes, 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 yes. God also used me and I also got to see God keep his promises as he began to send the people back to the land. Here's how I wanna use my final minutes though. Don't make too much of Daniel. When I grew up, it was all about Daniel or David. Every story made much of the person. Folks, in a series like this on Daniel, about a man like Daniel, we could actually get really depressed, couldn't we? I mean, be honest, right? Oh my goodness, Daniel, he just does it right. I mean, at least with David, he committed adultery. You know, (laughs) Moses lied got drunk, no, Noah got drunk. I mean, everybody else you can say, oh, good, he's normal. You can't find anything on Daniel, which could actually be quite depressing if we're supposed to make it all about Daniel. Don't do that. The reality for most of us when we look at our own lives is we're all, we don't see a lot of Daniel. We see failure, fear, compromise. Honestly, a lot of us look more like the thousands of other Jews who were sent into exile and you never hear anything else about them again. And so this sermon series could just make you feel guilty if the whole essence of this series is, be like Daniel and God will bless you. I want you to move your eyes off Daniel and fix them on Jesus, who was sent into exile on this earth and kept himself pure, And undefiled without compromising God's word ever. And then died for us and rose again. And has ascended to the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for us so that on our good days and on our bad days, when we stand and when we crumble with compromise, God's relationship with us remains the same because it's based on Jesus who never changes and not Our performance Say thank you Lord Now don't hear me saying to give you a license Just go do whatever But when you know That you're not trying to earn the father's favor Guess what You actually pursue holiness better My relationship with God is not based on my performance Because of what Christ has done And oh by the way He doesn't just intercede for me He lives in me Help me Jesus live for you in Babylon, he'll help us, he'll help us. We may be in exile today, but our savior experienced exile for us so that we could be with him forever. Oh God, thank you for your word, thank you for Daniel, but oh, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would Conform us to the image of your son in these dark days. Enable us to live supernaturally. Enable us to walk away from conversations and awkward work moments and gym moments and neighborhood moments and say to ourselves, oh my goodness, where did that come from? That, that wasn't me. Oh, may it more and more be that we say that wasn't me because it does not need to be us. Jesus, shine through us. Use us for your glory as salt and light.